Who's your least favorite person in the industry? (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I am your host, Ben Myers, here with our co-host, Mr. Stephen Cameron. How's it going, Steve? Very good. Thank you very much. We are, uh, ba- we are back. We have something special today, too. <laughs> Not one guest. Before, oh. before we get to our guest, why don't we let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Nizo Studios. The award-winning Nizo Studios is a premier one-stop digital studio for all your architectural visualization and scale model needs. Nizo can also help market your project and launch your sales center physically or virtually. Visit nizostudios.com and ask about LiveSite, their virtual sales center software. It's the media darling taking the building industry sales process by storm. Take it away, Steve. You should have some thunder and lightning sound effects right at the end <laughs> we'll, of that we'll maybe. Get Nizo. We'll get Nizo to give us some <laughs> yeah, thunder and, and lightning to go with their, their intro. So, so, so two guests. Yeah, two so guests today. We're outside. We've got a nice day. We've got some sun. The leaves are falling. And we have two amazing guests. Very excited to introduce to you uh, two giants in the development industry. Uh, our first guest is Bob Blazewski, the president and CEO of Diamond Corp. Bob oversees and manages daily operations and is responsible for the creation and execution of land development strategies and acquisition activities. Throughout the course of his career, Bob has led teams in securing municipal approvals for over 60 major land development projects in the GTA, working with some of the industry's foremost developers. Welcome to the show, Bob. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. No problem. Thanks for joining us. And let me introduce our second guest, Mr. Brian Brown, another legend. It is an honor to have you here. He's uh, one of GTA's, one of the GTA's premier developers and frequent and major partner of Diamond Corp. As a principal at Lifetime Developments, Brian is involved in every aspect of the development process from conception to construction. With over 15 years of real estate experience, Brian is passionate about building inspiring places to live, work, and play, and he has a strong commitment to contributing in a positive and distinctive way to the city of Toronto. So we have two great guests, two great developers, but even more so, we have two great guys, and both these gentlemen are experienced city builders that are also very passionate about the city that they live and work in and have a keen interest in the philanthropic initiatives that they are part of. Bob is actually the co-chair of the Hold'em for Life charity, a well-known industry function, uh, which raises much needed dollars for cancer research, as well as the fellowship program at top medical institutions conducting new and innovative research in Canada. But not just that, he is also the co-creator of a student apprenticeship program at Ryerson University Schools of Urban and Regional Planning to assist students in gaining workforce experience in the development industry. And Mr. Brian Brown, not to... Uh, not too shy of the philanthropic work himself, is the uh, co-chair or the chair of the Lifeline Charitable Foundation, which provides aid and support for a range of programs and initiatives that enhance communities across the GTA. And Brian is also, more recently, uh, the founder and co-creative director of the See You Soon Toronto campaign, a not-for-profit that has raised over $200,000 providing support for groups impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic who need it most. The hospitality industry, essential workers, and mental health support services. 
both fantastic gentlemen. Great resumes. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us and for Thank your you. great work. Is the show over? Is that? Wow. That was, that <laughs> that was, was like the longest intro. intro. It's, a yeah. it's a wrap. <laughs> okay, we can uh, cut. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot there, and there's uh, there's a lot to take in, so uh, I'd like to touch on, on all of it, but why don't we get started with allowing you two guys to uh, introduce yourselves and give us a bit of background. And Bob, why don't you go first? Give us a, how did you get into the industry, and, and maybe tell us a bit about your backstory. Well, really, I would say there's three milestones for me in my, my career. Um, started with Tridel uh, as a junior uh, development planner, and um, I was there for about 10 years, and it was really a great experience. I had a chance to, to work with some fantastic people, learned a lot, uh, really honed in on the chops in terms of uh, understanding the zoning process understanding how to stick handle through the zoning process. And um, I did quite a bit of work um, under Angelo Delzato as well, who was uh, a gem of a person. He was fantastic to work for and, and a real sweet man. So I was very, very fortunate um, that he would actually involve me in land acquisition and he would take me to meetings. And so as a junior person, uh, looking back, it, it, he was very gracious and, and I'm very grateful for that opportunity to work with Angelo. Um, also worked with Tony Morrow, who has done very well um, in the industry as well. Um, he's one of the leading uh, foremost construction companies. Uh, companies, um, TMG, and so it was a pleasure working with Tony. Uh, so I learned quite a bit, even through osmosis. I think the construction end of things, um, I didn't really have a lot of experience on, on site, but uh, dealing with project managers, etc., gave me a lot of insight. And so, and also set in on marketing and sales meetings. But my forte and the the main core of my work uh, in a large company being one piece of it was really um, stick handling through the zoning process. So that that uh, ran its course, and uh, about ten years into it or so, um, I was actually sitting. Uh, in Greg Nevison's office, uh, who was the head of construction, we were chatting, and he says, you know, did you hear about this application that Minto's thinking of filing? Uh, rumor has it they're, they're going to be applying for 55 stories at Young and Eglinton. And this was around 2001 or so. And um, I said, no, I didn't hear anything. He says, yeah, that seems like a, a crazy height at, at Midtown Toronto. It's a crazy height anywhere in, in those days. And so... Um, and so I went back to my office, and an hour later I got a call from Chris Sheriff Scott from Minto, and he says, you know, do you mind meeting with Alan and myself for lunch? So I, you know, easily put two and two together and thought, okay, well, there's some opportunity I think that's going to come my way. And sure enough, they, they made me an offer to uh, to work on the Young Eglinton project. Um, I did have some experience in the area. Um, I worked on 123 Eglinton for Tridel and got to know the community uh, rapiers associations and the area councillor at the time. So I think that's one of the reasons why Mentor were interested in me. Anyway, it was a tough move after that many years at Tridel to, to get up and, and uh, move on, but it seemed to be at the point where I either was going to stay there, which would have been fine, or to kind of make a move and see what I could do, and so a little bit of risk and hopefully a lot of reward coming out of it. And um, I remember uh, the counselor at the time, Michael Walker, saying to me, listen, no offense, I have nothing against you, it's, it's the project I don't like, you I like, right? <laughs> nice. And and so, so uh, we, um, anyway, long story short, we ended up getting turned down at community council. Uh, I, I think it was just, the application was too contentious and too aggressive for the community council. Um, 
I went back to Alan Greenberg and said, you know, Alan, um, uh, we, we may not uh, win at the OMB, uh, but I wouldn't mind trying to lobby council and the, the site I believed in the project and and Alan believed in the project and he was willing to put his money where his mouth was and he said you know I believe that that this is the right thing we should be um, increasing the heights we shouldn't use Canada Square as the reference point for height for that area uh, and you know many years later he was right uh, we now have the LRT line going across. You have uh, much taller condos, uh, e-condo in particular, and, and others. Uh, so, you know, I think it was really taking a gamble or a chance that, that it was the right thing to do. And we ended up winning at council. We overturned the community council's position. And, uh, so you never we were, did go to the OMB on that side. We ended up going to the OMB because the residents appealed, uh, but we ended up getting we had the support of council. Uh, so so it was a short hearing, and uh, we were successful. And you know, years later, I mean, it's fit in quite well into the community. And I think the the fear was of the unknown. Uh, a lot of residents felt that it would devalue their properties. In the you know, it's always been the issue in Toronto. Uh, the tug of war between the stable neighborhoods and intensification on rapid transit corridors. So it's it was really heightened. And and the reason I say it kind of made my career in a sense, um, it was it was the talk of the town in our industry at the time. And it was a focus of um, a lot of review and, and people are watching closely wondering how is this going to land? Where is it going to land? And you know I think it set the tone for high rise development, you know, substantially tall buildings throughout the city, including that corridor. What year was that? Uh, this was 2003 or so. Okay. Yeah. So it was before we saw, um, you know, all the taller applications coming in. It started started that this, you know, that kind of thinking. Five levels of underground parking. You know, most most of the projects prior to that were 35 stories or so. So it it, it kind of knocked to sort of the that height that glass ceiling, ceiling of height uh, a little bit out. So uh, I heard from a little birdie that there's uh, an application for around 35 stories at Young and Eglinton that may be turning into something much greater that we may hear about a little later on from <laughs> something like that uh, but uh, yeah it's it's not th 35 is not the standard anymore that's for no, sure no it's not it's not um so someone so, else came knocking at your door. So, then. so just gonna say. So um, a few years later, my good friend Steve Diamond, who I I knew back in the Tridell days, and he was a municipal lawyer at the time, uh, very successful with McCarthy Tetro, um, called me up and and said, let's let's grab lunch. And so I said, sure, let's grab lunch. And um, she says, okay, I've got something to run by you. And I said, sure. What do you want to talk about? He says, think about leaving law and getting into the development game. And I said, okay, um, tell me more. And, and I, he said, like, what? And I said, well, you know, what, uh, where are you going to, you know, how do you rate, how are you going to raise the funds to, to, to buy properties? He said, well, I haven't figured that out yet. And then he said, um, and I, then I said, okay, um, what sort of development do you want to do? What sort of projects do you want to do? And, and he said, well, I haven't, I'm thinking about it, but I'm not sure exactly, um, Asked a few more questions. He didn't really have a lot of answers other than he wanted to be in the development game. And I paused for a plan. moment. <laughs> I paused for a moment and, and, uh, and I said, I think you should do it. 
And by, the, by then the conversation, I said, listen, if, if, uh, if things start to, you know, uh, work out and, and you have a structure that you want to run by me, be happy to, uh, to join you if, if, um, if it makes sense. And so a year or so went by. And, and Steve called me and said, listen, um, let's meet again. So he actually came over to my place. We sat in the backyard. And he said, I've, I've, um, I've raised $70 million of private equity. Wow. And I said, that's, that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> you know, no track record other than, you know, his brand, his name. Um, and so uh, I guess it's worth $70 million. <laughs> so, so, we, um, so we talked a bit more. And I said, listen, I, I, I'm in. I mean, what an opportunity for me. Um, and um, this was um, in, in late spring. By early August, uh, we had a site, um, Five St. Joseph, at uh, St. Joseph and Young, just north of Wellesley, uh, under our belt. And uh, August, we, we had an office set up at St. Clair and Young, and uh, we were hiring one or two people. And um, September 15th came along and Lehman Brothers crashes. And so we're going, holy shit. Oops, can I say that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We love F-bombs on our last podcast. <laughs> yeah. And uh, what are we going to do? And, and so we, we were concerned, but we were in the middle of, of uh, you know, we had filed an application at the city for a 45-story building and figured we'd have to go through the process. We were concerned about the size and the scale of the project because... 45, that's nothing for you. Well, it's not the issue. It, it, was, it was something when there was no market, right? And, uh, and the absorption of, uh, you know, would, would someone want that, that much GFA in one, in one phase, one building? I'm almost done, Brian. So sorry, what, what year was this? Uh, this was uh, 2000, well, Lehman Brothers crashed, the market, the U.S. market crashed in 2008. Eight, okay. So it's 2008. Um, and uh, the, the good news is... Um, so Corp's only been around since 2008. Yeah, 12 years. 12 years. Learn something new every day. Yeah, yeah. No, so, that. so the the good news was that the, you know, the, the Toronto market, the, the GTA market was actually stable, and I think there was a bit of a shock. And the, the a lot of companies, like the Tridels and the Mankeys and others, have seen downturns in the past and and um, and tend to you know pull back quite a bit. Uh, we didn't have a lot invested other than five St. Joseph. We didn't have a lot of uh, the capital we had uh, was not deployed so we had we had money available so we thought um, as much as we want to be cautious we want to look at some opportunities so we did end up tying up a few sites not closing but at least tying up we we tied up Deer Park United Church uh, Ordinance at Strawn and a few others and um, by the time we were uh, finalizing the, the planning report for Five St. Joseph, the market actually, uh, people felt that, you know, we're okay here. It's, the U.S. is melting down, but, but Canada's okay. And so we ended up having actually a lot of people calling us because the planning report came out for this project that, that was going to be zoned for 45 stories. So that was the start and the success of that zoning. And then we ended up selling it uh, to Maud. Uh, developments, um, and they went back and, and actually went for C of A and ended up with 50 stories. But it was a good story for us and for our investors to see that type of project uh, start. And I'll wrap up by just saying now we're on our fourth fund. Um, we're well into it. Uh, all in all, uh, we've we have uh, in in a total number of about 650 million dollars uh, in all four funds. And are these and accredited investors? 20, are these institutional investors? Who, who's private, giving you all private private equity? 
And we have uh, about 20 million square feet that we've been involved with uh, in, in the four funds in one, one stage or another, either have sold off or are in the middle of processing through a zoning process or we're in the market, etc. And so that's, that's where we are as of today. So big, great numbers. Long story. Sorry. Great story. Very interesting. <laughs> Let's pass it over to, uh, to Mr. Brian Brown. How did you end up here? Why are you here? <laughs> what are you doing I here? I offered to host. <laughs> How could you actually, use in the backyard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Free man well, I, gotta thank, I, have, I actually have to thank Brian for including me. Uh, yeah, I know. It's actually worked out great. Brian heard about the free Manhattans and these uh, peanut butter pretzels. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm all in. So tell us, Brian, a little bit about yourself, how you got started, and um, where you guys are at now with uh, Lifetime. Sure. So... My path to uh, real estate is a, a little less planned. Uh, it kind of happened um, after years of doing something else and just, you know, it was something else that I wanted to try. Um, I actually went to university thinking I was going to complete an MBA, and that was my path, and that's what I always thought was the, the right path. Um, and then after uh, attending York for a few years and... Uh, getting my BA, I decided to start working and just see what happens when uh, I get out into uh, you know, a real job. And I ended up landing with a, a corporate communications firm that was just starting um, to uh, look at the internet at the time. It was going back to those days. And, uh, and so I joined the firm and, and uh, the funny part was that, you know, the people had computers, some people had computers, some people didn't have computers. It makes me sound really old right now, but I don't think I'm that old, <laughs> but um, but I was the one that had the dial-up modem in the office. Nice. So um, so people were looking at me a little weird at the time and trying to understand how I fit in that company and and then the the internet really took off. So it became a, a separate department of this uh, corporate communications company that focused really on doing annual reports and and corporate branding. So it really came out more of a marketing side of of um, the business. And uh, after uh, almost six years working for that company, I got the opportunity to join Sun Life just as they were demutualizing, rebranding from Sun Life Insurance to Sun Life Financial. And uh, so I joined a team there where um, I was responsible for that whole rebranding initiative. And I was going to got the opportunity to travel and go to India and to um, the Philippines and talk to those um, offices about the benefit of uh, a unified brand and I ended up going back to that same corporate marketing firm after a couple of years and um, and was really enjoying things like it was great it was a, you know a great working environment yeah and um, uh, shortly after that um, I got married yeah. met this incredible woman and um, after getting married um, I started to look at what her father was doing and uh, he was one of the principals of what was called Lifetime Homes at the time. And it was a company that was starting a transition as well. So they were moving from being a, a subdivision, low-rise developer, and now changing their focus and looking more at high-rise opportunities in the downtown core. So I thought that would be a really you know, interesting opportunity and asked if I could join and I said, sure, no problem. And uh, I went from being a managing director at a corporate branding firm to uh, doing after-sales service in Bolton. <laughs> <laughs> and 
um, it was it was quite an experience, and um, but it, you know it was, it was great because it was the opportunity to to show me you know all the different areas of the company. So went from after sales service to uh, shortly after that we acquired this property. Uh, it was a warehouse in Liberty Village. Um, now known as Liberty Market Building, but you know at the this time little, this it was little pro- this little property. Known it was a small little, property. Yeah, we couldn't yeah. figure out what we were going to do with it. We were going to upgrade certain features of the building over time and release it. Now it's like this incredible project that continues to uh, to be um, you know built on in different ways. Um, we just uh, launched our final phase called Liberty Market Tower. It's and, an apartment uh, building, right? It's a condo. Oh, it is a condo. Yeah, it's it's well, it's additional office to the complex, and uh, and then starting at the uh, eighth floor, we've got condo. residential units up to twenty eight stories. How many years was that? Well, that's going back to two thousand and four. So, um, you guys essentially—I mean, not to pump your tires too early on here—but you guys essentially built Liberty Village to what is to to be what it is today in some senses, because there really wasn't much there when you bought that property. It was. I don't want to say ghetto, but it was not. It was it was a little rough. It was pretty around harsh. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, now there were certain things that that I remembered. I used to go to the Academy of Spherical Arts and used to park my car in this empty parking lot with, uh, you know, broken glass bottles in the in the parking lot. And Had Ken Alpha started building the townhomes? They by that just time? started. So okay. when we acquired Liberty Market Building, um, strong. Uh, sorry. Uh, East Liberty Street didn't exist. It was just a dirt road, and it actually dead-ended before it hits drawn. Wow. So um, huh. so it was early days. We were one of the, the early groups in that area. And who had that vision? I mean, we're getting into the real um, nitty-gritty it's, it's a combination of both Sam and Mel. I mean, yeah. they were the perfect pair. Um, and, uh, you know, the way that they were able to bounce stuff off of each other and and challenge each other was amazing to, to watch and learn from. Absolutely. Um, and at the time, we were actually doing uh, Water Park City with uh, oh, yeah. what was H&R at the time and then became Lanterra. So we were developing another building in that area. And um, I guess they could see the, the potential of uh, how changes on the lakeshore were going to evolve and, uh, and reach Liberty Village. So I did leasing for a while, and um, and then as we got into the high-rise development, then the opportunity for me to learn about zoning and and you know how to negotiate with the councillors and with the city and work with the consultants and you know bring in some of the marketing, but also learning some of the development side of things, and um, and it's been great. We haven't looked back since and. Uh, and I've enjoyed every moment of it. So nice. And how many years now total with Lifetime? Uh, well, I think we're around sixteen now. Wow. So, and you you marketed some buildings under the Boulevard name. Are you going to continue to do that? No. Well, Boulevard was um, was an interesting uh, test project, really, because at the time we had uh, Lifetime Homes. Which we tried to evolve its brand into, uh, you know, more of a, a condo developer. So it became Lifetime Urban Development Group for a while. And um, Sam and Mel, <clears throat> they wanted to see what the next generation could do. So along with one of our uh, key partners, um, the three um, uh, people, myself. Michael Pearl, Mel's son, and Brandon Frankfurt, George Frankfurt's son, uh, started Boulevard, and our first project was uh, Victory, 
at King and Spadina. Yeah, I, was, and, I, I regret uh, I was going to buy a unit there, and I was just like, ah, it's too but early. You know, the amazing it's too thing early was, for this area. It <laughs> was, it, and we were selling a vision. It was a struggle when we were selling it. Like what I did remember, you sell it? Do you remember what you sold per foot? Uh, Four eighty. Wow, <laughs> I think. Um, but I remember, like we were we were talking to people and trying to sell the vision. This is going to be the uh, you know the heart of the entertainment district, and these are the changes that are going to happen. And just people couldn't see it at the time. And um, it was it was very different. You know, we had to build a sales office. We had to um, even after we had construction financing and started construction, we still had a lot of inventory left over. So we had to uh, we did um, a trailer on the site and uh, kind of took the model of low rise development and you know fixed up this trailer to make it look like a sales office and continued to to sell out of that. And uh, we had to go back and and. Uh, Changed the units and because they weren't selling and and uh, I mean when you look at it today if you could have a project that King and Spadina in that location like that is gold yeah um, so it's amazing how certain neighborhoods have really changed in in a very short period of time yeah. so it was, Boulevard was uh, kind of a test and and uh, it worked we did another project after that uh, but just different paths happened and and where we thought lifetime homes or lifetime developments was going to become the corporate brand and Boulevard was going to be more of our boutique, edgy, cool, hip uh, brand. Um, just the the lifetime development brand has really evolved and, you know, it's, it's earned its own respect and, and recognition in the industry. I think you. I think it's probably a lot you're doing with your with your marketing and rebranding background, coming in and, and saying, "Listen, we have a great thing going already with a good reputation. Why don't we?" At some level, I'm sure you, you said to Mel and Sam, "You know, let's go with this." It's it's, it's catching. It was a, it's it was a very anywhere. different way of thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, it, a, a lot of the the thought process early on was, "Well, we're going to build this building, and then as soon as we're finished this building, it's a new brand, and we're just going to move on." But when you get into condo development, you know, you're dealing with a lot of times uh, reputation. You're selling 500 units or 300 units all at once. You can't stagger it in like, you know, 20 tranches. So reputation, respect, uh, history, experience, all that carries forward with it. And uh, and so we had to change that thought and, and change how we viewed how we wanted our company to be seen and and understood and what we wanted people to think of when they thought of our our, our brand or heard our brand. The one thing I like that you did, and I'm, one thing I like that you did, and I'm not sure if it was you that came up with it, is you took pictures. Well, we said no helicopters, man. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, have a pad on the top. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you took you had like your your brand and like the logo of the project and like a backdrop, and like you would personally take pictures with some of the top agents, and then those were like everywhere on their Instagram and on their. Facebook and, and Twitter. I'm not sure if it was you that came up with that idea. And then you had the big panda. I, I think you, I, I just remember that being like the first project where I saw all these agents all posting photos and it's like free, you know, marketing with your logo in the yeah. background. Well, I got to give credit to Mel because he was the one that really pushed us to adopt social media. Yeah. Uh, even before I thought, you know, it was ready to do it. He was, he was gung ho on it. And, That's great. And, uh, and we've always tried to, to push things from a marketing standpoint and always, you know, very cautious about what we do and how we present things. And, and, you know, part of that comes from my background from when I was working at the corporate branding firm. 
Um, so it, it's, you know, it's been a, a, an evolving process over the years. And it's also been, you know, a lot of discussions with our brokers and our agents and recognizing that, that we don't sell as much to the end user as we used to. And we had to change the way we were marketing and, and giving them the opportunity to market us in their channels and, and through their clients. So, so, so let me let me just uh, sw switch gear. Yeah, it was a good segue. Actually, yeah, great to, segue. To but Bob. I, but I, I just I actually want to. I'm sure all of our listeners at home are, are sitting there listening to this great content so far and asking themselves. <laughs> so why Bob? Why Brian? Why together. the same show? <laughs> yeah. So how come we're how come the four of us are sitting out here on this beautiful day together? I uh, I've known Brian for better part of ten plus years probably, and I had had asked Brian to to join us on the show, and he said, "Sure, can we bring Bob?" And I said, "Absolutely." But why don't we? You guys obviously have a great relationship. You're doing some phenomenal development together. Some great new projects I know um, are going to be coming or hitting the. The social media scene soon, I'm sure. But uh, tell us about this relationship, and and I guess I think if how we, we got if here. If we uh, want to give credit where credits due for uh, for building a relationship between the two firms, it, it really goes back to Steve Steve Diamond, because Steve was our municipal lawyer years ago for um, several of our projects, including the the Four Seasons when we were going through the uh, the zoning for that project. And uh, we just we always had a tremendous amount of respect for Steve, and um, and then uh, several years ago, um, IBM took uh, the Celestica lands out to market, and uh, we decided we wanted to make a go of it, and uh, and shortly after we were you know submitting our proposal, we found out that Diamond Corp was also submitting a proposal for it, and um, and uh, we ended up. Fortunately, one of our groups ended up getting it, and <laughs> uh, too modest. And um, you know, the next step, as soon as we got that call that that we got it, was picking up the phone and saying, "Steve, we'd love to do this with you." Yeah. And um, yeah, can I tell my side? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I love it. This is great. <laughs> the backstory, the real story. Yeah. Well, actually, it, it's 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 complimentary uh, to to Brian and Lifetime and the guys. Um, so so Lifetime won the bid. And um, and Sam called Steve and said, "Can you can you meet with us at our office?" And their offices are are fairly close to ours. So Steve said to me, "Do you want to go for a walk down to Lifetime's office? They want to talk to us." And I said, "Sure, let's let's uh, let's go." So went went for a walk. Um, I met Sam and and Brian and Mel for the first time, and uh, we spent an hour or so in the boardroom, and it was a lot of questions, uh, mostly from Sam, just kind of asking us certain things about how we approached the site, and uh, you know what we thought was important for success on Celestica. Is there any way we could get a impersonation of Sam asking you these questions? <laughs> no, 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 can't do that. <laughs> can't do Sam. Uh, but you know he he was he was fantastic and and uh, uh, we left the meeting and Steve said what do you think I said you know uh, it was nice but I'm not quite sure why we were <laughs> other than maybe picking our brain I wasn't quite sure why why we were called in because at the time uh, we met they didn't really uh, declare what what they wanted to do and then the next day actually Sam. Sam called Steve and said, uh, we'd like you to come in as partners. And um, they were very gracious. And we were, of course, very grateful uh, for the opportunity. And um, 
Uh, and so we, you know, basically, of course, said yes. And, and then we had to crack the nut of, you know, taking it through a certain level of development uh, to, uh, to satisfy the city because it was uh, part of the employment lands. Um, and so we, we had to identify a strategy of satisfying the city with uh, replacing. And, and thank God Celestico wanted to actually uh, stay on site and create a headquarters. And so by anchoring the corner of Don Mills and Eglinton with their office building uh, certainly was a, a big win for us. In fact, one of the, you know, at master planning at its best, we, we thought that it would be great to kind of create the corporate image of the non-res along Don Mills and then create uh, some commercial retail in the next street over um, and then residential. At the time, and I'll, let, I'll turn it to Brian to comment further, but at the time, our thought process this was really about satisfying the city on the non-res, but then a lot of the development at the start of the review of the site was actually low-rise. We were thinking we would actually uh, do a much less dense project and that if the numbers worked to do low-rise, we would do a lot of low-rise and, and less high-rise. Yeah, I, was, I was shocked to see how many townhomes were ultimately originally, got approved in there. Yeah, well, originally it was it was a lot more low-rise and we thought that we would stay in and build out the low-rise and that the then, of course, the, the condo market got stronger and stronger and stronger and the city staff were not opposed to more density more height and we just kept adding more density and height so what and did you ultimately what was the final approval i'll, I'll turn over to brian to comment further and he can he can uh, comment on the approval you, you couldn't give me the uh well, the, like role the role of telling the, the exact gfa well, no, I, can, I, can, I can throw a number out there but uh, i think there's more of the story if you want to well you know we did you know, whenever we get into a project, we always look at it on a conservative basis. And if the numbers work on a conservative basis, then we, we move forward to the next step. And when we looked at that area of Don Mills and Eglinton, we really couldn't see it as a, a high-rise development site. So we were always looking at it as, okay, how much of this area of land can we do low-rise on? Because we feel comfortable with low-rise. You know, we can build it over a 10-year period and it'll keep us busy. But if we get some zoning for condo, which we know that we're going to have to have some, we'll probably just sell it off. So we always looked at it. Our model was always selling off the, the uh, residential uh, condo. And, uh, and the office as well. And it's like Bob said, you know, as we went through the process and continued discussions with the city, we kept getting pushed to add more mid-rise development, more high-rise development. We could get taller heights. And all of a sudden, the numbers were great and uh, we were doing a lot less low-rise. And, and the numbers for um, or the market and the numbers that we could achieve with uh, condo sales there um, just became much more attractive. Yeah, it's and, it's uh, crazy. You know, the 1185 Eglinton, the Sonic and Supersonic site, I remember when that went out, people were looking at it and they were like, well, we don't know how, you know, how great this site is. And, and uh, you know, I was, I was just, I discussed it with Tridel at the time, what they, what they thought. And they're like, oh, 400, 450. And then I think that it, when Linvest came out, it was like 500 bucks a foot. <laughs> and now their unsold inventory is a thousand. Wow. <laughs> right. So, yeah, pretty unbelievable. And, in four or five years to go from 500 to a thousand bucks a foot. So, so what's the number, guys? The GFA. Yeah. You're leaving well, us hanging over, here. We're over four million square feet. Incredible. Yeah. And what did you originally underwrite it at? It was in the twos. 
And did you have to retain any of the building for heritage purposes? Yeah, there were there were some buildings that um, and some facades that we had to retain. Um, and there was a lot of back and forth uh, with the city about whether or not they were, you know, buildings of value that needed to be preserved in the manner that they wanted us to. Um, in my opinion, <laughs> I drive by yeah. the site all yeah. the time. <laughs> um, it's yeah, just it's worked a, out fine. It has worked out fine. I mean, there, it's, it's a it, the buildings that uh, David Ponerini designed to work with those heritage buildings um, are beautiful buildings, and when they're built, it, it is a it's great feature. And what's the, the use of those buildings? Those will be residential. They'll be like a townhouse. No, it's low rise, no. or they'll be it's no, high rise on top of the, the podium. Of a, a, the podium of oh, the building. Oh, high rise. Okay, yeah, high rise. So then another interesting, uh, interesting thing about that deal, I think there's, um, and I don't know how much you want to get into this or not, and I don't know how much uh, is is confidential, so I'll leave it up Probably to you. Probably not to, too deep. <laughs> but but uh, you tied the site up, you put a deposit down, you went through this process, and then sold the site, and. Uh, I think from an IRR perspective, it's probably a grand slam home run of a deal based on the density you got, especially considering the fact you never had to close. I'll, I'll turn it over to you. I don't, I don't want well, to say you've, too... You've asked a question and answered it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, how does that work, and how can you explain to uh, us how... You know, how, how did you? Yeah, we do have some. How you, we're we're trying to get the podcast to people that are not necessarily in the know as well. So tell us a little bit about how you, you tied the site up, but you never actually closed it. Maybe a lot of it had to do with the uncertainty of the project itself mm-hmm. to begin with. So um, in negotiating the terms of acquiring the site, um, there was an extended uh, closing period, and it was subject to getting zoning and. Um, you know, the opportunities like this don't usually happen and sometimes don't happen naturally. It's not really planned. And uh, we were just very fortunate in how things uh, rolled out at the end did of the, the day. Did the vendor have any density bonus in his contract? Uh, yeah, there was yeah. some density <laughs> bonus. Yeah. But we underwrote, as, as Brian said, we, we underwrote a certain plan and we were generally comfortable with that plan. The, the biggest challenge was really satisfying the city's um, requirements uh, because the office market in that corridor is not that strong uh, but you know the city wanted to see non-res uses so that was a huge challenge and the rest was sort of um, you know we knew we could sell um, low-rise lower like urban low-rise and some mid-rise and if we can get a few towers in there and we can sell them off it's a bonus that was that was the the case that we had and um and you know it 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 was sound and uh it just evolved into something different over time and we just called audibles as as the plan kept developing and developing and developing and then we we were approached to you know, we thought we would be selling off a building or two or, or so, but ended up being approached to, to sell the whole thing, and um, which wasn't our original plan. But it, listen, if you, if we're fortunate enough to have that come our way, we, you know, we saw the the upside of, of doing the deal. Um, so we did. And who bought it? Who ultimately ended Aspen up buying Ridge. This? Aspen Ridge. That's right. It's now called Crosstown. Crosstown. Yeah. 
Well, that's a good transition to, you know, the evolution, because I know that when you when Diamond Corp started, you wasn't. I remember you were telling me that you weren't in, intending to do a lot of the build out yourself. And so, how is how is the you know how the company started and now how has it uh, changed? Yeah. It's actually a good question. So, as I said earlier, we we have four funds and they've evolved over over the twelve years. Um, the first fund we we were successful and lucky to find properties that we could buy that required a rezoning and uh, we were able to to buy the properties at a price that made sense for us to then reposition and, and sell them. Uh, in many cases we've stayed in uh, for a small interest not so much because we you know we, we wanted to um, uh, you know to, to recoup further on the project but really uh, it was to um, keep our brand, our name associated with the project. We felt it was important that whatever we zoned and committed to to the city, um, be it the architect or the architecture or the design or other commitments, that we would see that through. And um, and so that was important for us as we developed our brand. And uh, so we did, and we stayed in, um, you know, for a small portion. Uh, we found that after a while that um, uh, there's only so many sites that we could find that we could reposition and sell. And, and as, as land price started going up, uh, we, we were getting involved in more deals where we brought in a partner. And uh, the, the partner would usually have the skill set of marketing, selling, and being able to build the product out. So we would do the front end of the process and, and they would do the, the back end of the process. Um, so we did that with uh, a number of, of partners and, and we, we've been fortunate to have some great partners. Um, certainly Lifetime is, is, has been a fantastic partner for, for us and with us. And, and uh, we've had partnerships with, with Minto, with, with, um, with Sobera Group. Um, and so after we, um, and Citizen and others, and so we've, we've been happy with uh, the evolution because what's ended up happening is it's given us um, the comfort level or skill set to, to learn more and more about the marketing sales and, and build out of projects. And so uh, the evolution has basically been where uh, we've, you know, more recently we've, we've been partnering and, and sometimes it's, you know, a partner bringing a site to us and saying, hey, we have this site, it's very complicated, we need, need your skill set, come on in. And uh, we'd, we'd come in on a deal or we felt that we needed, uh, you know, the only way this project could, uh, could make sense for us to stay in is to have a partner to market, sell and build it. So that's been the evolution up until Fund 4. And at Fund 4, we decided, um, well, let's look at the opportunity to maybe build and start off with something smaller, mo more modest and, and maybe uh, focus on mid-rise, uh, 16 stories and lower in that, in that range of, of heights. And... Um, uh, we ended up actually talking with our other, you know, good partners, Kilmer and the Tannenbaum family, Ken Tannenbaum. Um, they were partners on a few projects, their, their Brownfield group in particular, uh, headed up by David Harper. And after a number of conversations, we were of like minds and thought, well, why don't we... Um, uh, join forces and create a company, and we did Diamond Kilmer, that can do mid-rise. And um, we ended up hiring uh, Jane Renwick uh, for our marketing and sales, um, leading our, uh, our <laughs> she's VP of marketing and sales, and an old friend of mine actually, and um, and Chris Toth um, is our VP of construction. 
and uh, and Ty Diamond kind of rounded off that group, um, Steve's son. And it's it's been uh, you know we we've had a really good time developing, um, growing with the company, but also um, launching. Um, our first project at uh, St. Clair and Old Western Road, known as Reading Crossing, that's been very successful, and and we've had um, a good run in the marketing sales end, and we're now actually excavating. We're down about seven meters um, down, and we're um, currently dewatering on the site. So we're quite happy, and we have uh, another couple of sites um, uh, under the DK brand. Um, we just closed actually today on a site at uh, Victoria Park and Girard. Um, Breaking news. Wow. Yeah, My yeah. neighborhood. There you go. <laughs> so we, we just finally finally closed on that property. So that'll be our next our next project next year. Yeah, I think the market study I did for you in 2018 is probably not valid anymore yeah. <laughs> for that site. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, interesting uh, sort of segue, and I'll, I'll throw this one over to Brian. But um, you know, there's been much discu- discussion recently about um, a de- development that w- will replace the Sneaky D's bar. Uh, recently, uh, Wayne Gretzky shut down. You guys obviously are familiar with that area because he did the Bisha across the street, and um, the Croc Rock has sold and is going to be redeveloped. So my question is, how sensitive are you when it comes to purchasing a development site from a pers- from the perspective of what it is replacing? Do you worry about how that might hurt your company's brand? Do you guys think about those things? Yeah, we always think about those things. Um, it, you have to appreciate that any change that you're going to make in uh, a community is going to be uh, initially thought of as uh, a negative. And so you're always working from a disadvantage when you acquire a property, especially beloved properties that people remember and and appreciate. Like the bookstore? Like the bookstore. When we acquired uh, the world's biggest bookstore, it was was certainly a a concern of ours about how, you know, people were going to um, look at that building and look at the fact that it was going to be removed. And... um, And so you have to be sensitive and you have to recognize that there is, um, you know, a community that you're dealing with. There's uh, PR issues that you're going to have to manage um, and, uh, you know, you roll with it. And, um, you know, a lot of times you have to sell the vision, you continue to sell the vision and you have to believe in your vision. And... um, Hopefully you can you can move people along as as you you know transition or or you know create change in a neighborhood. And for us, you know, we've always been um, we never want to be seen as the developer that comes to a neighborhood, builds a building, and then moves on. Like we always wanted to be. Uh, a part of a neighborhood. So in a lot of cases, you know, we've got mixed-use developments where we've got commercial or commercial parking or retail that we end up keeping in that neighborhood. And so we're we're a part of that neighborhood going forward. And and so a lot of times when we first find a site, we are, you know, joining the BIA, joining the Residents Association, meeting with them, talking to them about their the issues, concerns, their vision. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that we do in the community. And then that also was one of the reasons why we um, decided to create our own charitable foundation as well. And that was so that we could 
raise money and put money into the communities where we're building and not just be the developer that built the building, but the developer that has been uh, a part the of community. the community and is, has uh, contributed in different ways than yeah. just building a building and moving on. I guess Parkdale is probably uh, a, a difficult place to, to jump in because it's 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 less the you know like dealing with the affluent uh, uh, residents that worry about driving their their the value of their home down. It's the opposite. It's it's the lower income people worried about gentrifying the neighborhood. I know that uh, I actually used to go to that McDonald's as a kid with my my grandmother, and I know that it was kind of a, a, a hangout for for people in the neighborhood. So they were pretty upset that uh, that it was being torn down. I'm pretty sure you? there's memes about that that, uh, that <laughs> yeah. McDonald's, and there, I've seen one. And it shows a picture of that McDonald's, and it says everybody has one of these in their city, no matter where you are. It's like <laughs> yeah. the, one, the one McDonald's you're afraid to go to the washroom in. <laughs> well, and how, I, how did you ultimately get the 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 yeah, I guess the community on side and the councilor on side? Um, it, it took time, um, and you know, even at the end, we didn't have everyone in the community standing up and applauding what we're doing. <laughs> and we wouldn't expect that. Um, it's Sorry, just as reference, you should tell everyone what project you're talking about and the location. Uh, so we're we talking about, we have a site at King and Dufferin. Um, it's the uh, southwest corner where the McDonald's is that you referred to. And the northeast corner, which uh, many people refer to as the Burger King site. Um, and both were rezoned uh, a few years ago. And, um, will you return a McDonald's and Burger King to that corner? Hmm. We will see. <laughs> um, but the community was, you know, certainly very passionate and very vocal, and um, and um, the councillor was amazing to deal with, and um, you know, it was it was not the easiest uh, zoning approval to um, to get, um, but changes needed to happen at that corner and um, and I think there's going to be tremendous value for the neighborhood uh, when those two developments are, are completed as well but it certainly was not one where you know the community was totally behind us and you know, we had a, a we hired an artist which we do with every one of our projects and we had an, an artist do a mural uh, related to the projects that we didn't have a blank wall that was just sitting out in, in the public. So we were trying to create some beautification on the street. And um, and it didn't take long for somebody in the neighborhood to come late one night and spray paint over this new mural that was just freshly painted. Uh, and he wrote, Condos Kill Community. So, you know, we... It's unfortunate, but you know, it, it's it shows you how passionate people are about where they live, and how you have to take that and be sensitive to that and aware of it and aware of, of uh, the 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 situation that you're in and and respect it and and uh, understand it. Yeah, well, Park, Parkdale was one of the only areas of Toronto that just it hadn't been touched almost at all with new development, right? And then it's it's inevitable that it would it, that it would eventually get there, right? If you don't build units for people to 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 live in, they're going to buy up the. the when you the, build the when you build as many right? condos as you built in uh, Liberty Village, you kind of run out of land and space, and it sort of in some ways was like the next major intersection, or it was the progression um, to the next. Uh, next few developments but why don't we throw the same question to you bob I, i'm curious as to how you guys look at that and, and when you're buying these marquee sites or corners yeah, um, what's more difficult when you when you, you're trying to do deer park or when you're <laughs> when you're trying to do reunion crossing like what's more difficult to uh, get approved 
just for reference, where, where's Deer Park and where is Union Crossing? So. For those yeah, who don't so, know. so you know, you're Avenue Road in St. Clair, and then you're at um, uh, St. Clair and uh, Weston, right? Old Weston Road, yeah. 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 Uh, well, it's an interesting question. I think it, it's um, it, you know, all projects are difficult in one way or another. There's, I guess there's no real easy project these days. Um, I could actually, a better example maybe would be Scrivener. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the complications there, uh, you know, in Rosedale, this is at Price and, and Young Street, south of the LCBO. Uh, we didn't, I mean, Steve and I didn't start off by saying, okay, we have to establish a brand. Who do you want to be? Uh, what, you know, what's the image we want out there? Uh, it just kind of naturally flowed. And we, I think, the, you know, one of the reasons, um, I think we were friends is because we had we were like minds and we just kind of try to do what we thought was the right thing and the right thing as we see it is trying to create a win-win uh, in any application or process we go through and uh, it, you know we, we try to engage the, the neighbors in the neighborhood and, and all the stakeholders and um, you know the the Scrivener project really had um, a lot of history and I remember calling the counselor up, uh, Kristen Wong Tam, and saying, you know, just want you to be aware that we waived due diligence and we now own the property. And there was a pause. And then she says, well, aren't you brave? <laughs> and <laughs> okay. uh, it kind of stuck with me. And, and uh, it was a very, very challenging site, both, both, uh, both politically, um, uh, but also physically, because it, it kind of straddles, it straddles the, the subway. Um, and so uh, we had a lot of things to kind of unravel. But the one thing we did do before we... Um, hired an architect, we actually engaged the ratepayers, knowing there was history there and some a lot of issues in the past. We thought, well, why don't we um, have a dialogue and engage the, you know, there was like six various groups, maybe seven or so, and uh, we spent... I would say about nine months just having a conversation around what you know what we want to accomplish and hearing them and what they want to see out of this, and we then did a, a design competition and um, you know we wanted to raise the bar of design and architecture so we did an international competition and ended up hiring Kobe out of um, Copenhagen and um, they were quite good and we engaged them. Um, we had a series of working meetings, um, and they were part of every meeting, and it evolved from there. Um, now, clearly, Old West Road St. Clair, a whole different issue, uh, set of issues, and um, um, you know, I think there was more the transitioning into the neighborhood, and uh, so we had to uh, look at things from a physical standpoint. What are the planning implications and impacts? And um, there, there was also uh, ties to habitat uh, through the fact that uh, Build Toronto had the, the parcel. It was two pieces of land. The front was uh, owned by Imperial Oil. Uh, and the back piece, the larger piece, was owned by the city. It was an old works yard. Um, and the intent was, the site was earmarked for habitat, but because of the contamination, the cost of cleaning the site was so great they couldn't deliver the affordable housing piece. So we came along and said, well, we you know, we have the Imperial Oil property, uh, we can actually work with Habitat and, and work at some kind of arrangement, and we can also clean the site. So there's, they can, they can ride our coattails through the process and be part of this. And we've had a very good relationship with Habitat on many projects um, the past 12 years. We've, we've, uh, 
in one form or another have delivered or are going to deliver roughly about 110 habitat units, mostly family size uh, units. So, um, so you know, two two different projects, uh, and there's variations uh, throughout. I can go on on many uh, different sites uh, on on variations of issues and how we overcame them. But I'll stop there. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm familiar with this group. Obviously, I worked there for 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 six years at that yeah, location, in right? That, yeah, and, and, at, at and ten Paul, price. And Paul Oberman and and, yeah. and Eve were 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 trying to get that approved themselves at one point in time. So yeah. they know how difficult it was. Okay, so. My next question, I just wanted to switch gears a little bit. Uh, obviously, we're eight months into the pandemic. COVID is something that we can't not talk about a little bit. Uh, I'm sure it's changed the way you guys look at deals, the way you think about buying you know, new sites. Um, but really, one thing I've been interested in is this sort of urban exodus and the amount of condos for sale three to five to seven-year-old condos for sale in downtown Toronto. There's thousands of them. And rental rates obviously are a lot lower. I'm sure at some level this concerns you. I'm sure this makes you hesitant to launch new projects. Um, Brian, we'll start with you. Um, do you think Toronto is going to suffer in the long term or do you believe this is just a short-term trend? Um, I believe that it's firmly a short-term trend. I think it's just a matter of time, and um, and uh, you know, for us, we had to put two projects on hold that we were planning to launch this year. Um, we're gearing up to launch them next year now, uh, when we think the market's going to be a bit better, and um, and we've seen other developers do the same thing. Um, that said, you know, it's it's definitely an unprecedented issue that we're dealing with, but it's a short-term issue. And, and you know, people are asking us, well, does that mean that you're going to build more elevators so that people can get to their units quicker? And um, are we going to build bigger units? And are we going to make sure that people have more space to, to spread out? And, and the reality is, is not really, no. Um, I mean, we're making design changes, but in different ways. And um, this is just a short-term issue. And what would be some of those design changes? Um, well, internet purchasing has definitely increased. So the number of boxes that show up in a in a condo's lobby is is exploding. Right. And so you need to make sure that your your lobbies and the front desk have an ability to um, manage the intake and outtake of. Uh, all those deliveries, um, groceries too. So that's one area. Co-working spaces in uh, the amenity spaces and uh, creating areas where people can come outside of their own units and, and treat it like a, a home office. Um, I think we are going to see an increase in the number of people that are working from home. I think we're going to see people returning to the office very quickly too. Um, but I think co-working spaces are something that um, are going to become much more um, of a, you know, it's got to be in my condo kind of checkmark thing. Really? So you think that all condos going forward should have some office that either can be rented out on a short-term basis or the, is it for I don't know the if it's an office that needs to be rented out or if it's just a space that you can go with a, uh, you know, a proper photocopier and a, a coffee machine and yeah. something that's, you know, somewhere where you can host a meeting or, that's great, um, yeah. you know, just manage things outside of your own uh, condo. 
I've also been uh, recommending a Zoom room when when I talk to my clients. Just a room where someone can set up their laptop that's you know a little more soundproof. That just one person can sit in there and and do a call without having their family or your yeah. their roommate. I was talking to a lender and he was saying that one of the guys that worked for him, you know, just just starting out and you know he's a you know go getter. You know, gets to work at seven, leaves at uh, eight o'clock, and and so he just took the den in a in a in a two bedroom plus den, really? <laughs> and now he's working at home with three other guys and his office is his bedroom and there's not even a window wow. right so he's like oh my god this like brutal, yeah. this is terrible we just signed this lease right so it's, it's uh, interesting, it's interesting. you say that i actually sold my house uh in august so i had a 90-day close for, so for the last few weeks we've been looking for somewhere to live be it buy or rent temporarily and um we looked at a couple of different condos and my first question in every single condo uh, is, is there, as, as far as the amenity space goes, is there like a boardroom? Is there something there I could go and work or hold a meeting? I actually lived, um, I own a condo at 1 Scott Street, which is a citizen building. And they had a great library sort of boardroom there that I used to go and work out of. And I kind of took it for granted now thinking about potentially going to rent in another condo and, and not having that but it's true you know I think the landscape for where we work and how we work has changed for probably permanently I think it'll obviously go back to normal some it'll be some a ways, different balance it'll I, be different I, yeah you know there what we'll see is less office space or or um businesses taking smaller office spaces than before and some people will work from home but as much as you know we enjoy the fact that we could work from home or take a a zoom call uh in a parked car somewhere um i think people still long for the office environment and the social aspect that comes with being around other people and bouncing ideas off of other people and you know just you know spending time with others so well, being being here today, and uh, and you know, successfully having uh, host in, in the backyard here, um, I think is important. Uh, it's a much different um, dynamic when you're on a screen. So I think that the you know we're human human beings. We want to have the human contact. We want to have um, the discussion, and we'd prefer to do that face to face and eyeball to eyeball. I think. Well, but a, just uh, my my uh, my comment uh, on 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 COVID. Um, it's a worldwide pandemic it's it's hit the world it's not it's not isolated to north america um and so if you look at toronto at on the world stage it, it really you know toronto um it's holding its own and even though we've shut the borders um interest rates have been very helpful in, in continuing sustaining sales and um have to hand it to the province um, in terms of keeping our industry up and running. Uh, you know, in March when we're all panicking the first few weeks and everybody's trying to buy toilet paper, we you know we were you know we we're trying to figure out are we are we going to be in a position of operating or not? And uh, clearly the mandate was that uh, our industry should continue, and and it did. And uh, you know we we kind of did a inventory of where everything stands in relation to. Um, the pandemic and our projects and really we were actually in okay shape so um, that helped quite a bit I can't say that for every industry and and my heart goes out to those industries that are are suffering during this time but I think at the end of the day um, people have short-term memories and I think I think it will go back uh, once this is all addressed um, 
and there there's a comfort level that you can go to restaurants that you feel comfortable flying etc um, my my sense is and I may be wrong or maybe too optimistic but my sense is Toronto is going to be seen as a city that you know people want to live in and want to grow and we will see further intensification and the number of 115,000 that we were getting pre-COVID uh, to the city every to the GTA every year will actually increase and we will have a stronger um, and better uh, environment. Actually, um, I was talking to uh, George, who, uh, who who you guys know, and I think George was with Mel, and they had a meeting with the head of CIBC, I believe it was, or one of the banks, and he was saying, and I actually said this on a previous episode, that there's 270,000 immigrants approved to come to Canada, of which they believe, I forget the number was, had it written down, but most of those are expected to land in in the GTA or at least Southern Ontario. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I think that's true. And I mean, I think this, the things that, that we're looking at today in adjusting uh, in, in, in suite layouts or in, in amenity spaces may evolve and, and go back to um, where we were prior to COVID. Uh, I don't see it as, as being a long-term uh, revision to the way we we look at layouts of suites and things. I think it's going to come down to um, the economics and affordability to some degree, and that kind of ties into a project like our project at St. Clair or Western Road. Uh, this is obviously pre-COVID that we we had um, pursued the property and and zoned it and designed it, and uh, it's actually um, a good location for. Uh, home ownership that's affordable market, uh, and you know you're you're talking about eight fifty a foot versus thirteen hundred a foot downtown. Um, it it's it's not in the core, but uh, these are some of the compromises to uh, have more elbow room, and and uh, the townhouses will um, you know will will be uh, housing young families, grade related products. So it's urban enough. We have an LRT right there at St. Clair, and I think we'll. See more and more of that in in the in the near and long long term for sure brian i wanted to go back to something you said about you know people you know wanting human interaction and and, and dealing with people face to face and i know steve and i have had this conversation before and i've had it had discussions with other you know developers and and equity guys is is how do you underwrite a partner right you're 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 you know you're making multi multi million dollar decisions and and you want to you know want to you know meet the person face to face and and shake their hands how do you ultimately you've I mean, had several partnerships with you know the likes of center court and, and and diamond corp and and several others is how do you how do you ultimately make the decision that's that it's someone that you want to partner with that's a good question i mean it's a tough question too because every partnership's different for different reasons um, but what i can tell you is that when you do find the right partner um, things are a lot smoother and uh, and our projects are multi-year projects so it's not like it's a short-term relationship that we're getting into so uh, that's one of the reasons why Bob and I speak almost on a, on a daily basis or a weekly basis if I'm not speaking to Bob I'm speaking to somebody else in their office and um, despite the fact that you know COVID has separated our offices and uh, has not allowed us to meet on a regular basis in person uh, we still remain in touch and and the division of responsibilities and uh, the respect for each other's opinion 
and uh, just you know the ability to bounce stuff off and see how other people view stuff and uh, will approach a different situation is what makes you know partnerships amazing and um, our company has had a lot of relationships with a lot of different partnerships over the years. We've worked with Menkis, with Great Golf, with Center Court, and um, just when when there's mutual respect and uh, and uh, a good uh, working relationship between two groups, it uh, it makes you want to do more t- together, and you can really do a lot more t- when you got two groups working yeah. together. And the more the more the um, the interests are aligned, the easier it is. And what I mean by that is, if if our goals are the same for the end, you know, at the end of the process, um, it's easier to, to go from point A to point B. If they're slightly skewed for whatever reason, it starts to drift further and further apart, and and um, uh, it it it, uh, it it makes it a bit more challenging. So the fact that our interests are are aligned, um, and we have the same common goal. You know, when we talked about Celestica earlier, um, we landed together on what made a lot of sense, and it was easy. The decisions have been easy between us, and makes it fun. I mean, at this point in our careers, it, you, you want it to, uh, you want it to be fun, and and not uh, not a challenge. Of, was, one thing that's kind of strange is you have obviously most of your partners have been really uh, experienced. Do you think Diamond Corp would ever take a flyer on a on a first uh, first time developer to partner with? I, I mean, Ben's asking for never, himself. Never, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this great site <laughs> in St. Catharines, Ontario. Um, I, I never say never. Um, you know, I, I think it depends on on the size of the property, where we are in the fund process, um, who who they are. You know, um, we've been approached by by a, a lot of great uh, companies. Uh, Metropia and others have been great partners as well, and we've been very very fortunate. Um, um, you know, we've had those opportunities. So never say never. I mean, I think we, you know, uh, we're going to be looking at, at uh, Fund 5 down the road, and we have to look at and see how that's going to be uh, uh, formed and, and, and what our goals would be with that fund. So, um, it, you know, I, I think the answer is we would we would look at opportunities. But well, you certainly, have a, sorry. Sorry. Uh, certainly, uh, if, if, you know, Brian and I often look at properties and bounce ideas off each other on sites, and, and um, we, we'd like to do um, yet another project if we can. Uh, sorry, wanna, Steve. Uh, yeah, it's okay. I want to get to actually the, one of the latest ones you guys bought together. But before I do, you have some great partners on a 72-acre development in Port Credit. Um, it's an exciting project, I assume, for you guys. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what that is and, and who your partners are and how that's yeah. going? Yeah, thanks Thanks for mentioning it. Yeah, 72 acres of waterfront land and poor credit. Uh, you couldn't ask for a better site. It's, it's a fantastic piece of property. Um, we... Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, with Kilmer, we've looked at a number of sites together, and it was actually a perfect partnership because uh, of Kilmer Brownfield and their expertise. Um, it was an old oil refinery, so it had quite a significant cleanup requirement, and uh, it had a, a you know a lot of heavy lifting on uh, the entitlement of the property as well. I uh, had it didn't have a designation that we could just go in and start marketing and selling, so we ran the two processes parallel. Uh, so the the cleanup 
protocol and the zoning applications went hand in hand and um, they ended up actually finishing at the same time as well so we couldn't have asked for a better schedule two risky processes going in two risky processes at the same time yep and uh, just to mention the other partners we also have fram who are local um, builders and developers and um, and they you know frank Janoni in particular uh, lives next door to the site um, uh, in in a sleepy community just uh, a subdivision just to the west and then we have a heritage district uh, on the east so we had we were kind of nestled between these two low-rise communities and you know how do you develop 3,000 units uh, uh, on that site um, and so that was the challenge but before I talk about that I should also mention our fourth partner Dream um, who actually have partnered with Kilmer in the past and and so they're the fourth partner we actually originally I don't think a lot of people know this uh, we actually had a fifth partner but at the end of the day it, it ended up working out that um, they then taking a pass so it, it came down to the four four was groups. all four you at a table and he said you you're fired yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no, no, we're tough, but not that tough. Um, but uh, so, so you know, it, it's it's worked out very well for us. Uh, we, I think, the key to the project was really uh, coming up with a vision for the site. The city and the community had um, had done a lot of pre work prior to us getting involved. This is well in advance of of Imperial selling the property or putting it up in the market. Um, and uh, they called it Inspiration Port Credit. They put together a document of principles that they wanted to see happen. And um, so that was sort of our guiding vision a little bit in a sense, but we wanted to evolve that into something way more than than what was produced by the community. And, and uh, we ended up meeting with the city and it required an official plan amendment, zoning application, plan a subdivision, et cetera, et cetera. And we said to the city, where do we start? And they said, well, we, we want to start with an official plan amendment that we're going to spearhead. And we said, well, we, we'd prefer if we could spearhead it. And uh, they were very leery of that. But the way we were able to get them to agree was uh, we put together, uh, with the help of people like Ralph Janoni and our other consultants, uh, Urban Strategies and others, and our uh, own house teams, uh, we put together this document, uh, we called it a master plan document, it was like 110 pages thick, and it was taking some of the concepts of the Inspiration for Credit, but creating our, our own take on it. And um, similar to Celestica, we were we were underwriting it really with a, low, a bit of a lower density, uh, but we were expecting to convey a lot less land at the time. But as we started the process, uh, the city wanted more parkland, more roads, wider roads, et cetera, et cetera. We did customize it quite a bit because we felt that this was supposed to be a development of the future and we didn't want to have the standard template of, of subdivision, road systems, et cetera. So we were able to negotiate a bit more um, in the way of providing more parkland and, and less road systems. At the end of the day, um, as the um, as as we conveyed more and more land to the city for parks, we ended up um, having support from the city staff for more height and density. And what we did was, because of the low rise on each side, we had the low form of housing uh, on the edges, and then we had all the height and mass in, in the center of the site. And um, the other big stickler was the city didn't want to have residential along the waterfront, and so there is a park that runs along the water.
water's edge. We actually are, are going to design a beach as well as part of that. But we created a campus. The city insisted that, and it came out of uh, the visioning uh, study, they wanted a campus, but nobody really knew what that meant exactly. Uh, our conclusion <laughs> was, we'll put the campus in, but uh, we want to have residential because if you're going to um, have non-res uses closer to the water off of, you know, not at the corner of, of Lakeshore Mississauga Road, but in uh, in deep in the property, we need to have some level of residential to balance it out. And at the end of the day, we were successful in, in getting the um, the mixed use there as well. So we're, we're quite happy with where we've landed and we've just launched recently after Labor Day. Uh, we launched the first phase Which and is it's, how it's many been very successful. What, what's the next? Uh, it's uh, it's, it's uh, two uh, mid-rise project buildings. Uh, one is a five-story mid-rise along Lakeshore and then a 14-story right behind it designed by Diamond Schmidt Architects. Uh, Tally is about 310 units and uh, we've we've sold out. We've had wow. a, a long waiting list as well. There's you. been a, a pent-up demand for that project so we're, we're quite happy. How many total units or what's the total square footage in that? Uh, we have we have uh, we have about three thousand units in okay. the project at large. We're about four million square feet. Wow, in total. another huge one. And so how was how's the what the cleanup involved? You just like take the dirty soil and like send it to Michigan or yeah, something? Yeah, I was really interested in that. Every deal we look at, we do a lot of land financing, and obviously, right. dirty sites are everywhere and and. Yeah, Imperial, Imperial well, Oil seems to be like that, selling everything they own these yeah, days. Yeah, I, I was going to say that one was filthy, which it was, I think, in some. Well, levels. the the good news for us when we were bidding on the property, they had they had been testing and doing studies, um, and they had all kinds of reports. Uh, I think the spacing between uh, was about three meters from each drill. So the and the site's seventy two acres, so they had a lot of information, and so we knew going into it the 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 characteristics of the environmental cleanup and um, and uh, David Harper and his team uh, were responsible for stick handling that through the process it was a little choppy because of, of the complications of that uh, aspect of, of it but it's funny the deepest and you're right Ben it was uh, is basically excavating it um, and and removing it from the site which you know on a one acre site um, it's manageable 72 acres it's it's a big ordeal and of course the tally of, of the cleanup gets fairly significant Significant in the cost, because you're 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 um, shipping it away. Uh, but where what we found was the worst contaminated areas where we were putting the high density. Just by by chance, it worked out that way. So the the worst part was actually at the center, kind of deeper in, into the property, and uh, so that was actually a win for us as well. And as I said, we ran both parallel and ended up, um, you know, about two years into it um, with a clean site and a zone site. That's great. Well, I had a question for you, for you, Brian. It's kind of uh, no good segue between between that, but uh, you've done a few projects in the entertainment district, and uh, and uh, you know, I guess you know, midway through the uh, the Greenland Group, a Chinese developer came in. We've also also had a number of uh, of Vancouver developers come into Toronto. Are you do you have any worries that uh, you know that uh, you know foreign investors or 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 developers from other parts of the country will will come in and drive land prices up? It's a good question. I mean, any competition is good competition. Um, it keeps a balance in the market. Um, that said, you know, prices for land has increased and competition to get the, the uh, to acquire the land has uh, become harder and harder. And, um, and so, 
you know, we spend a lot of time looking for sites, doing a lot of due diligence on sites, and uh, be, being very careful on what we uh, end up acquiring at the end of the day. And it's not becoming easier. Um, but when you are able to find a good site and uh, are able to bring it to market, um, you know, it's, it's uh, quite often uh, a much better product because you spent a lot of time thinking about it and planning it and looking at it in different ways. And, and, um, and yeah, that's, that's, it's a tough question to answer because, um, you know, at a certain point, economics just throw things out of whack. And if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. All right. I know some, you know, developers like a Tridel kind of have a, a machine to feed. Uh, and so they, you know, they, they've got all these employees and they, they have to just continually launch product and continuously buy sites. Are, are, do you, are you guys small enough where if you thought, you know the sites, all the opportunities that are being provided to you were 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 too much that you would just kind of stand stand pat. Um, we're a good size, let's say. Um, you know, we're not uh, we're not the smallest developer. We're not the biggest one. Um, it allows us to stay uh, focused and and lean. And uh, if we need to increase, we'll we'll grow our staff. If we need to to keep it lean, we'll keep it lean. But. We don't want to take on more than than we can, and we're also very focused on market conditions and and making sure that we're uh, we've got enough in the pipeline. So even when we have a slowdown like COVID, as an example, uh, it's allowed us to focus on different areas and you know spend more time on the zoning, getting other sites ready, and and getting other um, other issues dealt with. Um, so it's it's a good in the sense that we're not stuck with one site and not able to do anything. We're we're very busy right now. We've got four sites under construction, two planned for next year to launch for sales, and and uh, a handful of other sites that are going through zoning. So, um, so would you ever look inside busy. the GTA? We've looked outside the GTA, but um, I think we're we're comfortable with the GTA and comfortable with what we can. Uh, easily go and take a look at and do site visits and, and being able to get our hands really deep into into the activities on that site. When you start to move outside of the GTA, then you really have to rely on uh, a satellite group or a good partner out there. And um, I think we'd rather just control our own des destiny right now. So there's one other project I wanted to touch on quickly that you guys are partnering on, and uh, it's, it's because of the recent removal of the Gardner Expressway's Young York Bay off-ramp in downtown Toronto um, in favor for Lower Simcoe Street ramp has opened up the south side of Harbour uh, for redevelopment. So last year I know that uh, the Crown Corp listed the 1.24 acre site for sale, and your two groups were the successful bidder and uh, are now in the process of redeveloping the, I think it's an eight story or 12 story parking lot. How, yeah, so how's that going? What's the plan there? And what can, what can we expect to see uh, coming out of the ground? And when? Well, it's, it's going well. Um, it, it's actually uh, a perfect recipe for, for both our, our companies and, and another great uh, partnership. Um, in terms of uh, the fact that, that it's um, a city building type of property and development, um, we, uh, you know, we, we look at, at these types of projects 
it is a center ice kind of property and, and has a lot of potential, but it's very, very complicated. Um, and the whole, you know, the whole process of, of just acquiring the site was complicated. Uh, there, there is some affordable housing that became part of the process as well. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, we, we want to raise the bar on design and architecture. Um, and uh, we want this project to be part of the city skyline. We are also looking at linkages uh, to the waterfront, etc., through the property, and, and it's key to uh, part of, of, the, of the brand and the city building exercise that, that we typically like to go through. Uh, I'll turn over to Brian to comment further. I would just say it's 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 where it's a type of product project where um, our two companies and our core strengths uh, that are slightly different from each other um, really complement each other. So um, Diamond Corp's taking the lead on the zoning. Um, we're providing our input and our insight as we go through as well. Um, and then at a certain point, uh, the roles and responsibilities will shift. Um, but um, but it's one where. You know, even when we're we're proposing zoning and we're proposing um, design, we're able to uh, look at it from a construction standpoint and a cost standpoint, and make sure that we're proposing something that we can build and won't be um, in a position of having to value engineer the building um, and and changing it dramatically from what we said we were going to do. And um, you know, it's 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 a very exciting project. We're is, very yeah. thankful that. Uh, Dime Corp invited us to, to partner on that one. Um, well, they and both that's said also it's center ice, and it's going to be a marquee tower as part of the skyline. I think it's there's a lot to be excited about there. How many stories are we, are you uh, going for or anticipating? So it's two towers. One tower is 41 stories, and the other tower is 71 stories. 71. So, 71. Wow. Little guy. <laughs> <laughs> one elevator. <laughs> <laughs> So listen, we've uh, we've been chatting for a while here. I think uh, at some level we should we should wrap it up. I, I do want to just ask Brian, give you sort of thirty seconds to to chat about the See You Soon campaign, what it is, how it's been working, how many you know it's it's been uh, it's got a lot of media attention. But tell us about the, what you put together. Well, with our uh, charitable foundation, we would normally host um, a ping pong tournament each year, um, which was you know really. Um, for, uh, it, it brought a lot of people from our industry together. Absolutely, yeah. And it's not great. being able to do that this year, we really wanted to do um, something that would still uh, allow us to give back to the community. And with COVID, what we're seeing is a lot of um, the hospitality industry just going through um, a, a situation that they couldn't prepare for, you couldn't foresee, and it's really decimated an industry in that sense. Um, and uh, not being able to um, have people in a restaurant really being limited on the number of people that you can have on an outdoor patio. And though, you know, it's, it's great in the summer, but when we get into the winter months, even that opportunity is going to, uh, to be lessened and lessened. Uh, so what we saw was a situation where we needed to do something that we could uh, help support some of the restaurants that were still open and give them an additional revenue stream by um, raising money through the sale of our T-shirts, sweatshirts, masks, baseball caps, and uh, using that money to buy meals uh, from these restaurants at regular price. Uh, so we weren't asking for discounts, and we would take those meals and then deliver it to the people that are really putting themselves on the front line, whether that be the um, 
the people in the healthcare industry or uh, public transit um, and really giving them a, a meal to say thank you and yeah. we appreciate you. And it's been a Great kind idea. of a pay it forward type campaign. Um, and it's certainly grown into something that we we uh, didn't really imagine it would grow to the extent that it has. And we're very thankful for that. But the reason why it grew was because it was really about bringing the community together and, and doing something as a community. And um, you, got you mentioned good partners we raised 200000 We actually raised almost 300000 Oh, wow. So... Congratulations. Yeah. Well, we usually wrap it up with a little rapid fire. So usually we want either a yes or no or less than less than 10 second response. So, Ryan, were you happy or sad to see the Sidewalk Labs project get uh, canceled? Sad. Sad. Okay. Does Trump get a second term? No. Perfect. <laughs> what is your favorite development in the city that neither of you are involved with? From an aesthetic standpoint? Sure. Or the bottom line? <laughs> Aesthetically, I got to tell you, I, I, I still one of my favorite buildings are the Merrill Monroe buildings in Mississauga that Citizen yeah. Fernbrook did. Uh, they're still stunning, in my yeah, opinion. Beautiful. Yeah. Your favorite brand? That's a really tough question. Mel's going to get so mad at you if you <laughs> I say know. anything. If I don't answer this right, then... Uh, <laughs> No, there's, there's a lot of really good developments. I can't pick one. I'm, I'm going to pass. <laughs> pass, beep, beep. There's a, lot, there, there's, a, there's a lot of great transit along the Danforth, but not a lot of development. Would you guys ever buy a site along the Danforth? Yes. Yeah, perfect answer. Um, what year will the downtown relief line be completed? Bob, you can take that one. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> It's a good question. <laughs> and even if I gave you a number, I'm not sure it would work. <laughs> Should developers be allowed to sell units in a project that isn't approved? No. Perfect. Does Toronto need a foreign, uh, I mean, a vacant homes tax? No. No. Do you support the abolishment of single-family zoning? No. No. Oh, wow. Okay. Who's the best-dressed man in Toronto real estate? <laughs> Mel Pearl. <laughs> he is actually. <laughs> Who's your least favorite person in the industry? <laughs> that's, our, that's our favorite. That's our favorite question to ask people. <laughs> if you weren't doing development, what would you be doing today? Oh wow! Go ahead, Brian. <laughs> Brian's gonna say marketing. <laughs> marketing. I would probably fall back to what I was doing before. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I like cooking. Maybe a chef. I don't know. Nice. I have one other question. It's not on our list, but I thought about it. Your son came out, Bob, because we're at your house here, and yeah. you told us you have another son at Queens. Brian, we were talking that uh, you have you have three boys. Are you guys? Uh, does it ever cross your mind having having the boys come work with you at some level, or getting them into the industry, or is that something you uh, you haven't thought about it's, yet? Well, it's funny you should say that. Actually, uh, Ben, who you met, um, he's uh, he he graduated from Queens undergrad program in life science, but decided after many summers uh, working on construction sites through pulling yeah. favors at Tridel and, yeah. and Citizen and other places that he likes that end uh, of the industry and he's working on a master's degree in building science cool. at, uh, at Ryerson right now. So I think uh, he'd like to pursue something down the road in our industry. Okay, I got another one. Well, What's Brian, I want to hear Brian's answer. Five years ago, we were renovating Sam's office, and he made us put in three extra desks that he said his grandkids would rotate on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but he made it clear to my kids that 
at some point they were going to become the boss. And so uh, since that time five years ago, I've been fired about six times and rehired, <laughs> thank God. But I've been fired a few times. By your sons. By your sons? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> which, which is the next Toronto team to win a championship? Raptors. Raptors again. Wow. Oh, okay. Wow. Even yeah. What do you guys think? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, the Leafs. Yeah, I'm going to go with really? Joe. <laughs> Joe's going to bring the Jumbo championship. Jumbo Joe coming to Toronto. <laughs> we got the best bottom six in the in the league. <laughs> we, have, we have 14 players who are supposed to fill out the bottom six. I don't know what the Leafs are going to do with that, but I am personally excited to see him come to town. One, one well, more. It'll be, it'll be a fun One fun more. Season. What's the next hot neighborhood in Toronto? That's a good question. Brian, build us another Liberty Village, but give us the inside track. What, what, what is it? Yeah, what are we talking? Roncesvalles, Humble, Parkdale. Humble brag. You know? Weston Road. I do like Roncesvalles. I think it's got a lot going for it and uh, a lot of similarities to, to Liberty Village and, and the type of changes that are happening and the type of people that are there, too. Um, so it's definitely uh, on our on our. Uh, target on your radar. On our radar. Nice. Yeah, I would say maybe Mount King Dennis. Well. Mount, Mount Dennis area, maybe with the uh, rapid transit yeah. corridor along there. Stuff along the Eglinton line. Yeah, Eglinton's going to go through a huge change with all yeah. I mean, massive projects along, you know, Victoria Park to all the way to Dan to, to Warden. So, should yeah. be interesting. Listen, guys, it's been great. Thank yeah, you so much. yeah, thank Is you. Is there anything we missed that you did that you want to uh, to throw in there, or uh, did we did we hit it? A, hit all the topics we covered a lot i mean it was four hours long <laughs> <laughs> so where do where do where do people find uh, diamond corp and where do they where, where do they find you if they want to uh you know find you on linkedin or or whatnot uh it's diamond corp diamond corp yeah. yeah that's yeah that's yeah nice and for us you know our website lifetimedevelopments.com and uh you can also find us on instagram and facebook and we're on all the different channels so Beautiful. Yeah. Okay. Likewise. All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Awesome. You.